This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at the Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2017, held in Sugar Creek, Ohio, on March 3 and 4. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. So, I thought Norwood would uh, lead off here as a senior member, but he appointed me, so that's delegation is okay, too. And I've not done this before, and so... I didn't actually spend a lot of time discussing it with my board, and I think some of them might be here, so this is intimidating. And uh, they might rake me over the coals when we get home. I don't know. (laughs) Goals for high school, and I suppose there could be as many as there are people in this room. And I confess that there are plenty of times when we as teachers just get into the getting the work done mode, grade the papers and prepare the next lessons, and we can easily forget what our goals are. Uh, But as we heard well said yesterday morning, if we don't know what our vision is and what our goals are, if we shoot at nothing, we'll hit it every time, right? So a few things that I thought about. Uh, First of all, first thing that came to mind is why my goal is to present the student with a diploma which will locate him in the left lane in the pursuit of the American Mennonite dream. So, make it happen, right? If they get a high school diploma, they'll make more money faster and have a nice, easy life in an office somewhere and can have the boat and the second car and whatever they need to be successful. Not really at all, actually. Well, I've had students expressed a little bit of that, and uh, it feels a little ironic, maybe, to me, because many of us as teachers, at least to a certain degree, uh, have expectations that are different from that for ourselves. And when we hear students talking about it in that way, it feels like, you know, this is a little ironic, and uh, we should be challenging to think differently. So, <clears throat> not only does being a teacher call us to that, but I think being a follower of Jesus calls us to reevaluate what the good life really is. And too, too often our people have maybe had their own version of the American dream, which ends up being very similar with a few other things tucked in as well. And so we, we tend to think toward self-centeredness. We notice that in our children pretty quickly. And so, and I noticed that my high school students. So, in order to maintain that self-centeredness, we need to only be with people who think like we do and act like we do and read the same things we do and have the same values we do. And that then reinforces our own perception of what's real, which is pretty small. And... Teens particularly seem inclined to having a narrow perspective of life. They've lived all of 15 years, and whatever's happened in those last five or ten years is, I mean, that's the way things have always been. And part of our job as teachers is to broaden that perspective. So stories from other lands and times, whether we access that through literature, music, art, history, or science, can carry the seeds of growth into their minds that will challenge that. And hopefully they can recognize that things have not always been as they are today. In fact, we're living in a tremendous bubble that will burst. 
sooner or later. And we ought to be preparing students to live well when that happens. Whatever that means, I don't know. But all I'm saying is the way things are now has not been, by any shot, the normal for Christians in the world over the last 2,000 years. And it's not the normal in most places in the world today. So, not only have circumstances not always been such as we experience right now, but the majority of the world right now understands a very different reality. So I remember contacting John D. Martin here a while ago to come to share something in our community, and he, there were the, you know, the, the greetings, and he, his question basically was, are you, are you teaching your students, are you bringing them into alignment with reality? And I never forgot that. Isn't that a good question to ask ourselves? Are we bringing our students into alignment, their thinking, their lives, into alignment with reality? With what really is? It's hard enough for me to figure that out. So, I do want our high school to be a a tool which will broaden our students' minds, broaden their perspectives, broaden their horizons, catch a glimpse of the bigger picture, which should include that newer and faster and bigger isn't always better, break down some of the walls of us and them by helping students understand Muslims, Mexicans, Al-Qaeda, women, men, the church down the road that is more traditional, the church down the road that is more progressive, etc. Teach students that nothing and no one can be understood without context. To love is to understand. This is a quote from the book entitled The Education of Little Tree. To love is to understand. I'm still thinking about that one. So one of the things we do a little bit of is create experiences. This week we took the high schoolers to Baltimore and they spent a day there in the city doing a few things. And most of them, uh, like myself, we live in the country and we're sure that that's the best life and the only life God would ever call us to. And after all, it is about what we, what we would like, primarily. But being there, I've noticed... Uh, has actually impacted some of our students in the past, and we we've uh, we do choir trips every other year. And we've gone to New York City and uh, spent some time there. and And it's it's good for them to get out out of their comfort zone and have to think on their own. We often don't really examine our patterns of thought until that happens. And so we all need to look for ways to get out of what feels like the easiest path. So broadening horizons. It's not just us right now. The kingdom is bigger than us. God's work will go on without us if we choose to let it do that. But he has an exciting place for us too. And in fact... The way to fulfillment is, is finding that way. 
We also want to develop critical thinking skills. And a brother last evening, what's his name? Linford talked about that. Our, our tendency as Amish and Mennonites is to accept people at face value, to trust them. And that is the way the world's meant to be. That's not a bad thing, that we tend to trust people. But on the, on the other hand, gullibility is not a virtue. I think we can have the wisdom to have some discernment as well. And students need to learn to analyze competing claims for truth. Not all truth is, well, all truth is God's truth, but not everything that's given as truth is truth. And uh, there are many, many voices today. And several things about that. One is to discern from the voices that are. The other is to actually be able to hear, discern the still small voice. I noticed that many, many of us today have something going on all the time. We need to have something going into our ears. And there are a lot of good things, but even the good things can end up never letting us have space to really think about who we are and what God may be trying to tell us. So quietness. Are we okay with quietness? So teaching our students to read and listen with discernment and skepticism. (laughs) And I don't mean a healthy skepticism. I think you understand that. Looking for the bias. And also they should learn the scientific method, algebra, geometry, and literature. Those courses can help us help us think, think rationally and clearly. I've had students tell me that doing geometry in high school changed the way they thought. Just one comment on broadening horizons that I missed here. Reading a book like Blood Brothers to your students can be, can be powerful in helping them understand another perspective than what the media often gives. That's... Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. Thirdly, then, practical skills that we use in corporate worship of the king, speaking, song leading, teaching, leadership at school, writing, singing. You know, in worship we use our bodies. Our bodies are the temple. And learning to use them well, developing those specific skills, becoming a better speaker, a better singer, a better song leader, a better listener, will increase the enjoyment we receive from corporate worship and increase the value to other people. And I think increase the glory God receives. I think it's legitimate to pursue becoming good at those things. I don't think excellence is to be avoided. Mediocrity is not what we're looking for. Communication as well. Students need to learn to respectfully express divergent opinions, not simply suppress them. And I've realized 
in the last number of years that we have a real struggle with this at our school. My students are very hesitant to disagree with their peers. Not in first and second, but by the time they get to high school, they are. They're more apt to disagree with me than disagree with their peers. It's an interesting phenomenon. I don't know what all is going on there. I think some of it could be social media for some of them where we are in this bubble and well, anyway, we talk about that more, but um, learning to disagree and be okay with disagreement is critical. I mean, how are we going to have a brotherhood if we, because we don't all agree, right? That's not even the goal necessarily, to all think exactly the same. But we can work together in spite of that, I think. And just putting those feelings down and not, not, not expressing our emotions at all is not going to help develop healthy relationships. So communication. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure you've heard of that book. I've heard of it lots of times and finally I've started reading it and found it very powerful. So I'd recommend it. And then fourthly, ultimately what we want is a new creature in Christ. So we just spoke of skills to develop. We could add behaviors and attitudes to foster. However, Christ's work isn't simply a new coat of paint or peanut butter on the bread. So it's not just take this truth and apply it to your life. No, no, no. We're talking about an inside-outside transformation. Now that will usually include some new paint, right? But that's not the starting point. That's not our goal. It's just to have them look a certain way. We want them to be, to be something, be a disciple of Christ. And it's becoming, so it's becoming a new person, transformation. Everything changes. Everything matters. It's not simply following this list of rules and then I'm good, you know? That's what the Muslims believe and many Christians too, both on the liberal and conservative perspective. It's, not, it's amazing how different people have a different set of rules but end up trusting in that set of rules. That's easier than actually being transformed. So the sacred-secular dichotomy that pervades Western thinking must be challenged because it denies the inherent goodness of creation and at least the schizophrenic theology and practice which has brought much of Western culture to abandon sacredness altogether. So now, for Western culture, all is profane or secular. In fact, as Christians, everything is sacred. Everything matters. The creation was all made by the Lord God. And it will be renewed. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, where dwells only righteousness. God's original plan will never be thwarted. So I'm out of time. Um, in summary, hijack the American dream, undermine the Great Wall, demolish the sacred-secular dichotomy, build bridges, form a new creation, build an eternal kingdom of living stones, and point Jesus to, to reality. Okay, go ahead, Lord. We'll take 15 minutes each. I'll stand up when you have five minutes yet. Okay. And then uh, we'll have five minutes to get upstairs. So take 15 minutes. Okay. You can tell I'm a little older generation. He pops his laptop open. I pop open my three-ring binder. <clears throat> so might be a little different perspective here. But when I was asked to speak about high school, I was asked to speak about something that has been a significant part of my life for the last 28 years. I've taught high school for 28 of the last 29 years at Hickory Hollow Christian School. 
Hickory Hollow Christian School started um, when there was a couple young ladies who wanted to go a little further than eighth grade. And I offered to help them, thinking it would be uh, independent study. But the mother of one of these young ladies had asked a Quaker lady, a conservative Quaker lady, to also help. Uh, she had a daughter, her and her husband had a daughter in the school. This lady had some credentials. Um, she had actually taught at a university level. And so when we started Hickory Hollow, we had some pretty high credentials. Uh, she taught for about five years and then uh, developed cancer and had to quit. So I took it when we had other teachers. Uh, <clears throat> so in 1988, Hickory Hollow started with seven students. Over the years, we have grown. The last two years, we have had 45 in high school. Um, we have practically 100% of our students go through grade 12, and I think this is a little unusual for our setting. Um, last year, I had one student drop out at eighth grade. That was the first one to drop out probably in nine or 10 years. Uh, so we have a high percent that go through high school. About three years ago, uh, we had our school accredited through NAPS, National Association of Private Schools. Now, this is not near accreditation through a state, no way. But there is some hoops you have to jump through, and it does give some credit to your uh, organization. Um, now, I'd like to present Hickory Hollow um, some of the things. It's a, it's a unique approach. I don't know if it fits your setting or not. But we go only three days a week, and then they're home too. And what, what this does, and when you're coming out of a culture that does not have a high emphasis on education, it makes these students think they can do it. We've only got to do three days, I'm off too. And so it facilitates that mentality. Um, it also allows the student to be at home two days a week, they can be on the farm or helping dad or uh, in a uh, construction or something, or young ladies can be at home. And so it's a compromise. It actually was set up that way as a compromise between the people that thought grade eight was enough and that you needed to be furthering your education in the home. So what we do is we have a model where the traditional home training, education, can, continue, can start, continue, along with a formal education. And it goes, uh, like I said, it works well for us. The second thing it does is it um, opens up another way of getting teachers. We do not teach grades. We teach subjects. Um, and so most of our teachers have other occupations. For, for the first 18 years, I farmed with my brother, and I would go in for three half a days a week and teach four or five subjects in the morning and then go home, be on the farm. The last 12 years, I've been doing that with Christian Light. So you have a, uh, a little bit of a less uh, financial burden on the school because these men are, and ladies are not depending on the school for their livelihood. Um, but it does create a situation where that person has to have a vision for young people. Because although your responsibility is only three half a days a week, you still have the grading and all that to do. So it does take a commitment. So, you know, why 
Why would I take and make this commitment for 28 years of grading papers and preparing lectures and butting heads or debating teenagers? Uh, was it the thrill of it? There's a thrill there, but I don't think that's why I did it for 28 years. Um, did I do it because I think it's essential that they have higher education? No. I did it because I think that that age needs to have a structured um, environment in which they are challenged to mentally develop and socially develop and spiritually develop. And when you do this in a high school setting where you have four years, nine months, you can do a much thorough job than you can in your Bible schools and your Sunday school. It's kind of a here and there. So it, it opens that door to having a very structured approach to working with young people. Now, our school, like I said, we teach subjects. And so every class is a 30 to 40 minute lecture. All of our classes are lectures except for like English or that type of thing or algebra where you're teaching. And when you're teaching young people like this and you throw out a few rhetorical questions, any class can be Life 101, particularly our Bible classes. Uh, in Bible classes, we teach some doctrinal things, non-resistance, the veiling. We also teach dating, raising a family, getting a job, how to get along with that honorary boss you've got. We talk about all these things along with all the little bunny trails that you imagine can spawn off of that type of discussion. Um, so it's, it can get very lively. If you're used to a very structured classroom where they raise their hands and one speaks at a time, that's not my classroom. Um, I don't, in fact, if I'm up there lecturing for 10 minutes and I haven't got a discussion going, I have, I'm not doing my job um, because I want, them, I want them excited about it. And when we have some fairly large classes, 20, my, my 11, 12th grade Bible is uh, 24 students. And if you throw something out there that they're excited about, I mean, you've got about five discussions going on in that classroom. And it takes a... Um, it helps that I'm older to say, whoa, let's get back on topic here. Let's listen to this side over here. Uh, but it, it's the type of thing that they like, they enjoy. And so that is one element of Hickory Island. Um, so as we do this then, the main reason that parents promote their children young people coming to high school is not academic. It's for social and spiritual development. Now that's, that, like I say, that we have a high percent coming through, but it does, it does create a little difficulty in getting a high academic level because uh, we, we just struggle in our settings, or mine anyway, with parents and everyone just saying, okay, you've got to get in there and learn that algebra. You've got to learn that geometry. Um, and so it, it does create a little bit of, of an issue of getting high-level academics. However, we have, and I said it's only three days, but we have had, we've had students over the years uh, go to the local community college. We've had a couple of uh, young ladies become 
RNs. I've had a couple of young men then, then actually be able to go to four-year colleges. So if they apply themselves, they can do that, but that's not our focus. Um, you know, I mentioned that we became accredited, and part of that was one of the requirements was to develop a, a mission statement or have a mission statement. I'm not sure how, after listening to Philip yesterday, how we survived for 24 years without a mission statement, but we did. Um, so uh, we had to write a mission statement, and the statement for Hickory Hollow says that Hickory Hollow Christian School shall teach and nurture young children and young people, assisting them in developing the academic skills necessary to live in the world and the spiritual depth to not become part of the world. It shall teach the biblical foundation under Christian beliefs, guiding young people to live, to live the faith as a fruit of their own conviction. And also part of this we had to distill out of our, uh, come up with a policy. And I've got that in six points here. We're to use the Bible as the foundation for establishing truth. We're to teach allegiance to the kingdom of God. Recognize the legitimacy of the questions young people raise. Guide young people to establish foundation for precepts of the Bible. Develop positive and not cynical attitudes. A lot of teenagers can be cynical about what we're handing them. And to use critical thinking and dialogue as a means of establishing biblical truth. And that last one I'd like to expound on because that's one of my guiding principles. <clears throat> you know, if you've been advocating higher education in any way, you've run into that that says, the person that says, you're going to lead people out of our church. And it's a legitimate concern because how many educational institutions that started out forming formed on the basis of preparing young people to be workers in the kingdom, and they've lost the way. I mean, you're the Protestants of Harvard and Yale and the EMU and Bluffton and Goshen, you name it. They've lost their way. And so, yeah, we're just talking about high school, but it's still a legitimate question. So why have these institutions went wrong? My theory is that they teach critical thinking and stop there. So when we have this guideline that says use critical thinking and dialogue to lead to biblical truth or to establish biblical truth, you, you have that critical thinking. You have those students. They're critical thinkers. Don't worry. You don't need to create them. They're critical, all right? Teenagers are critical. You've got to turn that into truth. Have that, you've got to create an environment where they're comfortable asking those questions and then presenting them with truth. Now, Jonas is going to have to shut me down here. But um, my, in going this way of teaching truth, we have some problems. I talked to a man in Canada, and later I had him write down what he had told me, because I think it plays into my concern here. He said... That modern educational philosophy requires that you never accept anything without question. It's important to find out or prove everything for yourself. Here's the key. And there is no room for simple faith. No room for simple faith. 
Now, we can shoot ourselves in the foot with this, with teenagers, young people, because we fall in this trap of providing pat answers and platitudes, technical theology, and we try to proof text all of our practices. We need to face it. That doesn't really work that well. In fact, when you start doing that, you just create those cynical students I was talking about earlier. And our pat answers, they typically just fit the context of the scenario we created to teach them in. Life isn't that simple. And our biblical practices, they can't be always supported by the Bible. Some of them are simply tradition. Admit it. There's nothing wrong with that. Tradition preserves. <clears throat> and, so, and there are many things, many things that we cannot explain. Keep it simple. As simple as, in the beginning, God created. You know? And that's all matters. We don't know how he did it. It only matters when our, when our belief in the Bible depends on disproving evolution. If we simply accept it as, in the beginning, God created this other is not a problem if our faith was there. <clears throat> so, you know, I've thrown out some things here just for you to think about. As you take, if you're, you're thinking about high school, if you're moving into that, um, Hickory Hollow is somewhat unique. And I've advocated high school for 30 years now, practically, working with it and promoting it. And I hear more and more of there be, needs to be more education. And in this more technological world, that is true. There is more education needed, but it's not something naively to go into. Um, the whole thing of looking at our young people, you know, assimilation into the broader culture and postmodernism and throw in a little emergent church theology they're going to challenge us, us conservative Mennonites. Maybe not the plain, not, maybe not the old order. But those of us that are out there a little bit on the edge, these, these things are going to challenge us at, for the church and ultimately for the souls of our young people. So I advocate high school, but don't naively go into it. Okay, Emma? Thank you. All right, I'm- well, good morning. I'm not sure that anything more needs to be said. I'd rather digest what we just heard from both the brothers. But I am curious. I come at it from a little different perspective, perhaps, than a lot in here. I never went to a day of high school and never taught a day of high school. But I'm watching my children now go through high school, so that changes that perspective a little. I'm curious. I'd just like to do a quick raising of hands. How many of you are in a church where there's differing views about high school, where there's those saying, I'll just forget the second question. (laughs) I was going to ask how many of you aren't. But, uh, well, I, I understand that. I understand that dynamic exists. I'm not here to to try to convince those that feel one way or the other. It's not why I'm here. Um, 
I'd like to throw out some things that I think are, are noble goals, and I'd like to just underline what, what Norwood said at the end, that I think we better, wherever we stand on this, whether we're strongly advocating it, thinking about tolerating it, or have no room for it, um, let's approach it with wisdom. Let's approach it saying, you know, they have a point. They can point to the EMUs. They can point to a lot, unfortunately, to a lot of pitfalls. Let's not ignore it. But at the same time, let's see, is there things we can, we can help our young people? I, I, I appreciate the emphasis been brought up by both of the brothers. Help our young people. I'd like to think a little about what are some goals of how high school should look in the day-to-day, and what are some goals I'd like to see in those that complete our high school? Um, Brother Norwood talked a little about accreditation, and uh, I'm just going to throw this out. That I, I don't know where you stand on that. I, I know since we've started our high school, I've heard some, some feedback of why would we send our child through four years of education, four extra years of education, and in the end they get an unaccredited diploma. diploma. I wonder... Is that what we really is that really what we want to get through to our young people? How many of you have gone up to speakers that have blessed you this weekend and said, "Now, uh, do you have a degree or did you go through 12th grade?" No. And you know, if if later an accredited diploma is needed, that can be overcome. I think it can be overcome a lot easier than this whole mindset that we tend to put into our young people about education and about a love of learning proper things. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I trust that, that we take that to heart, that, that we are getting an attitude through to our children that says we want to learn. We want to learn in a proper way, but we want to learn. We love learning. It's a gift you, you go to, you know, we could go to country after country after country and where there's barely any education available and people are wanting to learn. They're wanting those facts that are, that are there for us to learn, but we tend to be critical and ignore them too many times or view them as a necessary evil. I'd like to think about six goals, not, a, not an exhaustive list, but six things as I've reached out a little, gotten some advice or or things other people want to see as well. Six goals for our high school. The first one is to provide a safe and solid channel for those who desire to study further. You know, is it fair for us not to offer anything when we have children getting to that age where they'd like to? And and there's a personal testimony that's out there about a boy that I know very well. He's a man now. But he went on to, to be a missionary in Bangladesh, visited Bangladesh different times, and he talked about the blessing that high school was. Now, he just went through 10th grade. But he talked about the blessing that high school was and the, the language skills, the different skills he learned in high school that he probably would not have learned through 8th grades. And I don't know, I, I have a feeling there's people in Bangladesh that are in the kingdom that have been strengthened in their kingdom walk And it comes back to some of these skills that he developed that helped him learn the language, helped him get to the hearts or or point them to Jesus Christ and and let Jesus Christ get to their hearts. 
And they can go back and I ask, is it fair if we offer nothing? And we tell them, well, you know what? You're on your own. Just, just a question I'll throw out. There's a lot of different areas, horticulture, biology, algebra, math, other forms of math, writing, uh, language. We talked about that a little. All things that, that can benefit if these students are later called into different works, God has a calling, calls them into different works, these are all things that can be a benefit. Deeper Bible study as well. Let's not minimize that. You know, there are times, Norwood talked about these, these minds that are constantly active, wanting information. Well, let's, let's give them information. Let's give them right information. Frederick Douglass said, and I think he's right, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I think he's right. Number two, to leave a good testimony to the state. I don't know what your rules are. Um, I don't know what the state requires. But sometimes I'm afraid that, that in our setting, at least, we're riding on the coattails of others where some exemptions have been made. And that, that's not all wrong, but, but I wonder, are we then taking those lines, the, the, the liberties that the government granted, and taking them to places they never intended them to be. You know, what, what is, is there something wrong with an inspector coming to a job site and 14- and 15-year-olds scattering to go hide? Is it consistent to the state that we forego public education and are willing to pay the tuition of private education but when they come in and investigate, we want to get out of it just as quickly as we can. And, you know, I understand this mindset is not always the mindset, but I've seen it often enough where it concerns me that we view our children as ways to get our bank accounts more healthy. I understand, again, that that's not always the case. There's cases where there's hardships and and, and parents and families have a very difficult time deciding. But I would say if we get that attitude across to our children, and, and we have teenagers, we have a son in ninth grade, and they're already struggling with, with boys that are talking about, oh, this 15-year-old is making this kind of money. I wonder, are we going to live to regret pushing that kind of mindset on our boys to where as soon as you can, you get out there and make every penny you can. Why would we expect different if that's my mindset? And, and a question I have regarding the state is, would, if, if they come in and investigate my view of education, would it show a grateful spirit for what they've allowed? Number three, and this has already been touched, but helping children learn a disciplined, systematic approach about problems and life's issues. I think, you know, you think about your child out there, they're going to learn these things somewhere. Out on, the, out on the job site, out in the workforce, where they're sometimes rubbing shoulders with people, we don't know how they handle problems. We don't know how they react when, they handle pro when, when problems come up. And we had this, I saw this firsthand when our oldest daughter entered high school. It was kind of a unique setting because the high school was brand new and they had switched uh, the math program or using a different algebra and she came face to face with a wall she couldn't penetrate. And it invoked phone calls. We, we called other board members. There was people that came in and helped. 
And I think to this day, she's grateful for that wall that came up because all at once she realized that, that that's so much of what life is about. I just got my five-minute warning. That's so much of what life is about, and it's so crucial that we, we learn to properly work through those things. And by the time she had crossed that barrier, that, that uh, struggle, she didn't want to quit before it was all over. She didn't want to quit till she was done with 12th grade. Again, I would ask, is the workforce a good replacement in those things? Number four, to instill in our children that knowledge should bring humility. And I'm, I'm going to hurry now, but, but I believe that's so crucial for us as, as ministers, for board members, for teachers, that knowledge should bring humility. I think that's at the core probably of, of part of the struggle that's come is, is people have gotten puffed up. They've gotten lofty like you know, look at all the letters I have behind my name or look at what all I've learned. But I ask this question, as Christians, as we learn more about God, do we ever get the feeling, you know, I've almost discovered everything about him? No. In fact, the more we learn, the more we realize there is to learn and how little we are compared to him. So I believe knowledge should bring humility. And I I believe high school as a teacher has that attitude, that mindset, as boards and ministry churches have that mindset and attitude, it can help that get through. Number five, for high school students to be role models and help mentor those coming behind. We had an experience here yesterday, of course I was thinking about this talk, but our little daughter was with us yesterday, four-year-old, and I don't know if the man that did this is here or not, but he saw her there browsing the coloring books at the Rod and Staff stand, and he said, you know, would you like one? And, of course, I don't know when, when her, her uh, enamoration or whatever the word is there will go away for what he did. And you know why? Because there's something in us that is so appreciative when somebody bigger than us is willing to take time and help us, is willing to take time and do things for us. And I believe that can be such a blessing in high school where, where you have 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders that, that know the struggle of those first eight grades and, and know the struggle of getting through there, and they're willing to be role models to help mentor those coming behind. And finally, number six, that they may learn to teach others. There's a principle in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And the things that thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Also, And I realize the context here is church leadership, but I would ask us as businessmen the question, how would we feel if we hire employees and we teach these employees the, the, the mindset and, and teach them the concepts of the job and they get up and they're just, just good and learning to, to grasp this concept and then they quit. And then the, the whole thing starts over again. I wonder how we'd function, how we'd feel. And I find that sometimes you get eighth graders that that they've learned the concepts pretty well, but you give them another two, three, four years of applying themselves, they may well be ready to teach others the concept. And that's, I, I, I would take that as very crucial, very critical. And I would say yesterday at, at the lunch, we sat across the table from a, an educator that's been at it for 20 years, and I asked him, you know, what, what benefit is there for somebody that, that would have quit at eighth grade, but instead they decided to come through your four years of high school. And he he said something about uh, the disciplined approach to life's problems, to things that come up. But he also said something I find very interesting, and, and I leave it as a challenge. 
to us. Because in all these things, whether how, how we view education, how we view making money, how we view getting our children out there, he said this, that the mindset that sometimes comes through is, you know, if you want to teach, you're welcome to do it. But really, is that what you want to do? Is that worth it for that kind of pay? Have we, have we gotten that mindset through to people? Is that mindset getting through to our youth? I say, God help us, and may God bless you. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.